every single piece. I want there to be an element of accident. So lately, I've been doing these large spray painted. I'll, I'll do like a bunch of paper bags at a time. And I'm, I'm looking for a lot of gestural line with the spray paint and stencils. And um, then I cut back into them. I cut the shapes out. And I'm really looking for entry points with how the stencil line and the intuitive line happen on the surface so that I can kind of build off of, you know, pulling out some of those elements. It's very quick. Like, I don't like to kind of labor over the, the stenciling and the painting of these large pieces that I later cut down because I'm excited to see how maybe that main large piece will mix with other small collaged elements, like how those two pieces come together. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 226th episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Beth Humphrey, who talked to me all about her work and her background growing up right outside of New York and seeing all sorts of art, being really immersed in that environment, going to openings, going to museums, and seeing and experiencing art with her father and various artists, and how that eventually led her to earn her BFA degree studying printmaking and eventually surface design and how all of those things come together in her current studio work which explores a lot of spray painted paper, acrylic paint and watercolor crayon and all sorts of colorful shadows and light and saturated color and we're going to talk all about that coming up so stay tuned make sure to check out her work at BethHumphreyArt.com and follow her on Instagram at Studio Beth. One big announcement is that we only have two weeks left for our student annual competition. Our juror this year is Tim Kowalczyk, who is a Trump Loy ceramic artist at Tim Ceramics on Instagram if you want to see some of his work or timceramics.com. The competition is open to all currently enrolled or recently graduated MFA, MA, or BFA, BA students in the visual arts. So if you want to find out more information, head to studiobreak.com and look under the student competition page. The application process is as simple as can be. You submit a small PayPal donation, a link to your website and or Instagram account, and you are all set. So check out studiobreak.com under the student competition page for more information. Just a reminder that Studio Break has a plethora of archived episodes on studiobreak.com. Each of those episodes have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and these interviews, which you can listen to right there in the default player on Studio Break. Or you can look over to your left and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So be sure and do that. It's a great way to stay caught up with new podcasts. And of course, you can also find us on Facebook, so please like our page there. You can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break, and of course on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those announcements out of the way, here's our interview with Beth Humphrey. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Beth Humphrey, how are you today? You know, I'm doing well. The sun's out. It's going to be 60 today. I'm, I'm feeling very good. Excellent, excellent. And just remind us before we kind of really dive in, you're in what part of New York? I live in Socrates, New York, which is in the Hudson Valley about two hours north of New York City, and I'm right next to Woodstock, New York. Oh, wow. Cool. 
Well, again, it's going to be so nice to kind of get familiar with your work. We were just talking about how, you know, especially with what's going on now, it's it's kind of fun to dive into uh, distractions and to kind of uh, visit these little worlds. And I know I think you, you talk about micro and macro in your world. So I, I yep, think that'll be kind of yep. interesting to talk about your work. Um, are you originally from that area? Well, I'm from New York. I'm from New York City. I grew up in the 70s and 80s in gritty New York City. But always loved getting out of New York. I loved going upstate. We had my father was an artist, and we had friends who lived in Woodstock. Grandparents lived in Ohio. I would visit them. But um, yeah, I grew up in New York City. But you know, you were talking about how your your father was an artist. Does that mean that you had a lot of you know art influence growing up? Totally. My father was a pretty well known painter, Ralph Humphrey, in New York City, and he taught at Hunter College. He was a undergraduate and graduate painting professor. So my, and I was the only child. And at the time there wasn't a lot of artists having children, you know, so I was like the only kid in a very art centric family. My mom was a therapist. My parents separated when I was four. So I spent a lot of time in my dad's loft. My earliest memories have everything to do with art, art galleries, art openings. Yeah. From the get go. So very supportive household. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I have to say that I never had a problem accessing art supplies or just that was the expected thing to do as an only child. You had to keep yourself amused when my, you know, when my dad was in the studio, I was like drawing, looking at his books. You know, I didn't have siblings, so I kind of had to make up my own kind of play world myself. Sure, sure. Well, and so was that something that was kind of, you know, formally explored too? I mean, I, I would assume that like when you start getting into school, there, uh, did you go to like special schools for arts? Or no, anything? no. I mean, you know, so I grew up in this in New York City in the seventies, typical like you know, just think taxi driver <laughs> era, and in Chelsea, which now of course is like a really lovely high end neighborhood, but when I was growing up, it was a lot more gritty. And I went to public schools till I was in fourth grade. Saying this, it was also a time I feel very fortunate to have grown up in a time where I could have a more feral childhood, less supervised. So, you know, there wasn't all this like after school activities or, you know, taking ballet, none of that. I mean, that was also my family's deal. I mean, they mm -hmm. just kind of were like it, the same, the equivalent in the suburbs, I imagine, you'd be like, go outside and, you know, we'll call you and you'll come back before dark. I mean, that was kind of my childhood. I ran around. I had a couple of friends. We'd go to parks. We'd dig up worms. It just, we there wasn't art classes. Although I spent a lot of time with my dad going to museums. I mean, that's what we did. We I spent half the week with my dad, half the week with my mom. And, you know, my dad had a voracious appetite for inspiration of all different kinds. So there was a lot of stimulus but it just wasn't structured well and I, i'm curious are there any things that particularly stick out early on that you remember being mesmerized by i'm assuming um, visual art but yeah, i don't know it yeah. could be music or something too well i have to say that you know one thing about my dad was that he found inspiration in a lot of different places so we spent an enormous amount of time at the museum of natural history and i can remember being fascinated by like there's a hall of evolution kind of, I, you, you probably have never been to this museum, but there's this famous giant blue whale, like life-size blue whale. And you can lay underneath that. And right outside the hall that holds that, there's like this wall with all these 
different specimens from like itty bitty tiny specimens of mollusks to these giant squid. And um, I could literally sit there for hours and just kind of look at it and try to kind of figure out how, first of all, how did they get them? Where did they come from? Why are they next to that other specimen? But that I, that's a very formative memory. I mean, I would, I still, whenever I go down to the city and I occasionally go to this museum, I have to go right there. It's like a beacon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, and so was that something then that you kind of knew early on that you were going to definitely explore as an idea? Like, again, it's interesting for me because one of the podcasts that I really like, actually, the um, the host, you know, talks about kind of growing up, you know, in the seventies in New Jersey mm-hmm. and, you know, this kind of level of freedom and yep. accessibility and just kind of how people didn't, I don't know, not, I don't want to say safeguard you the way that they do now, but it was just accepted that like, it's probably going to be fine. Um, yeah. but I'm just curious, like in that same sense of like carefreeness, I mean, was it something then where you're like, Oh man, I could totally make a living doing this. Or was it something where you didn't have any idea what you were going to do or. Well, I think, you know, in, in my household, it was like practicality wasn't really a thing, you know, it was, <laughs> and everybody I knew was, you know, all my father's friends were artists and professors and my mom was a therapist. Nobody was ever pressuring me to do one thing or another, but I think inherently a respect for the arts and an engagement in the arts and a sensitivity for culture and respect for for culture was just like um, a given. Mm -hmm. So I think in some ways that that freedom kind of made me a little ungrounded because nobody was pressuring me one way or another. But I I think I also, I mean, one side effect of growing up in the art world, because my dad was represented by a bunch of different galleries and, you know, some were good, some were bad, some were, you know, it it can be quite, as we all know, kind of toxic environment i think part i resisted being a traditional studio artist for a long time because i felt that there was a really kind of negative underworld there that was kind of very hard on artists so i think i was attracted to being an educator and working with kids and families and communities and also having a studio practice but you know, it was definitely, there was no pressure one way or another to go into the arts. Although saying that I did start out in art education and then I suddenly made the decision. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I really have to go. I have to get a BFA. Like it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And when I called my dad, I could hear him. He was like tearing up. He was like, Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) The family business, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, But he never pressured me. You know, he was very, he was very doting, but not, he wouldn't pressure me. I think it was about being authentic, you know. It's interesting too because it looks like then you you will kind of wind up, you know, moving to Minneapolis to to pursue yep. that degree. Yep. Was that a big change? I'm I'm assuming, um, you know. Yeah, it was a big change, but you know, like I, I think because I I had this love hate relationship with urban New York, you know. I had friends who had moved to Minnesota and at the time I was going to school in Northern New York at a state school that was really in the middle of nowhere. And, um, I felt that isolation and I, and it gave me some time to reflect on what I really wanted. And what I really wanted was really to kind of explore art in a different way and not to focus on art education. I figured, you know what, there's always time for that at some point, if that's what I need to return to, Mm -hmm. I was, 
also looking for a place where I could kind of live affordably and go to school. And I was interested in mu- like in music. I like to go listen to a lot of music. So it was a really vital kind of exciting place to be in um, Minneapolis in the eighties. And um, so it was a big change, but it felt very much like home right off the bat. Like it just was a place I could manage. And it, you know, I, I'm totally not one of those people that think New Yorkers are jerks, but mm-hmm. it was definitely <laughs> different to be around Minnesota nice. Like sure. so different. That might've been the hardest thing <laughs> to give up some of my New York edge. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm curious too, then, you know, you kind of described a little bit of like not having a lot of structure in terms of a lot of your experience with the arts, you know, prior to this, was it something that was really structured then when you started and in terms of kind of doing all the typical classes that you might have, you know, early on or? I had taken a few classes before I, like I took a gap year right after high school and took a few classes at Hunter College where my dad was teaching, which was great in a way, but also a mistake because all of his graduate students were my professors (laughs) and they were like, we love your dad. You get an A. Like there wasn't structure, you know? So I think I was craving a more um, anonymous structured environment and there was a few adjustments because like what I have trouble with as an, as a as a person is following clear direction. Like, so when I was taking like a media arts class and we had to do a slideshow, then sync it to music and stuff that kind of, that is not my, that's not my jam. You know, Mm -hmm. like I can't like uh, technical stuff. Like I'm not very good at following kind of the directions and like the highly technical classes, but I just kind of let go and tried to figure it out and like failed in a couple of places and then thrived in a couple other places. And then I was just, I was, I was, then I fell in love with school and, and learning that way and printmaking. I fell madly in love with printmaking. Interesting. I didn't, again, I wouldn't have thought about that except for maybe all the collage kind of elements and the, the yeah. paper elements in your work. But one thing, you know, I realized we haven't really talked much about then. I mean, what kind of things were you interested in making at the time? You know, cause we've talked of course about, you know, um, all these experiences, you know, already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but were you yeah. kind of interested in just kind of, you know, abstract kind of type? You know, because I, my dad was an abstract expressionist school painter, I had grown up around that world. Like a lot of his friends, Linda Banglis, Mel Bachner, who did like math based work. He was actually quite close with Mark Rothko. There was a certain perspective of respect that I grew up around. And I felt at the time I didn't really, I didn't have my own personal developed relationship to abstraction. Mm-hmm. So what was really interesting to me was to think about a different, like more emotional reaction to making work. So I got really into thinking about domestic items. There was a very woman forward faculty at Minneapolis College of Art and Design at the time. And I started to really explore my relationship to being a, a woman, a domestic relationship to my life, like keeping house, like all these things that seem very normal and American that I didn't like, I didn't grow up around that. I grew up around like a very bohemian, feral, all over the place childhood. So I was like, what does it mean to have a relationship to your everyday objects? Like cups and plates and saucers and um and one thing that had been slightly informing that too was that before I left and moved to Minnesota I'd been a nanny for Elizabeth Murray wow. the painter Elizabeth Murray and she was weaving like domestic imagery into her work and 
graffiti and New York and all these influences that I hadn't seen in other work. So I started to explore kind of that edge between representative work and and abstraction. But I had to figure I had to kind of shed sort of what I'd kind of grown up around because it was very fairly unusual for an art student to grow up in my environment, especially in Minneapolis where you're, you know, you're, you're with these kids that grew up on farms and on Indian reservations and like all these different, like they weren't from New York city, gritty New York city. It was like a really dynamic place to explore totally new things and themes for me. Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, again, you kind of talked about not necessarily having like a lot of pressure, but it's almost like there's a, you know, like probably I'm sure there's some level of like, I don't necessarily want to like do exactly what these, you know, people that are all around me are kind of doing yeah. or like you are kind of wanting to curate, you know, who it is that you're kind of looking at. So exactly. And it's exactly. interesting to actually know these people instead of, right. you know, reading about them. So it's kind of cool to think about that as a, you know, as opposed to like what I might ask about like a art history class or something like right. you're <laughs> experiencing these things. Yeah. So was there kind of like a, you know, like a thesis show or like a, a capstone event kind of thing for that? My BFA, I did monoprints. Like I said, I got, I fell in love with printmaking. I was very interested in creating monoprints, which of course now I'm like, of course, because it's all about collage and layering and texture and color. And I, I created sort of like a, a language of symbols. Mm -hmm. you know, I used a lot of roads and I used a lot of hands and references to bodies and played with them. So they were all variations on a theme. I was really trying to think about myself in the world that I was living in and like sort of a crossroads. So there was some symbols and some, what became really important to me was a lot of layered color. So it was a, it was a BFA show. So I had about, I think about a dozen pieces in that show. You know, I, I'm also really bad at like kind of being an archivist for my work. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I move on. <laughs> sure. Well, it's, it's like I was saying, it's interesting for me to think about that idea of process, you know, cause printmaking is obviously very heavily involved in process and, you know, just hearing you say layers and color, you know, yeah. seems still very applicable to the kind of things that, you know, are more in the present. Yeah. Well, and so what happened after that experience? I mean, again, it's interesting for me to think about it because like you said earlier, you know, kind of having not really like maybe like a path forward to kind of think about, uh, you know, how that changes for everybody or could be different, but what, yeah. what came after this? After I got my BFA for a little while, I had rented space in a community print shop. And what I found very quickly was what I was missing from printmaking was the community because mm -hmm. it was very strong community in the print shop at the school I was going to. And it really challenged me to keep like a studio practice up because first of all, it was expensive to rent the space and, I was starting to be a lot more conscious of, you know, at the time I was using oil-based inks and um, the rhythm and the way to keep my studio practice up was just becoming kind of a chore. And I wanted to be able to work at home. I wanted to explore other themes. So I left the print shop and I actually started making quilts and embroidered pieces and I really dove into that. Like I just, it was a little bit of a session. I was interested in like, you know, like the history of African American uh, quilt making and very intuitive. Again, I'm not very good at being a fussy process oriented. It has to be, it, it can't be an exacting process for me. So that evolved into an interest in surface design. 
Mm-hmm. And that led to me going, not traditional graduate school, but I went to Oregon College of Arts and Crafts to study surface design. Again, I was looking at the surface and how to alter the surface, maybe think about objects, pulling things away from these flat planes. And I was also a little lost at the time because that missing that community of the, like, you know, printmakers who are real printmakers, they stick with it and they build community. And I just, I, I disconnected from that and had to kind of reinvent a little bit. Well, so interesting, you know, you kind of, you know, switch out to kind of, you know, making in a different way. Um, I'm curious, like, especially too, like, were there kind of influences that kind of help kind of push you more towards, I don't know, a different direction? I think it's such a formative thing. My father's process, I have to say, because he changed the way he worked a number of times throughout his lifetime. So for me, I, my my example of how to be an artist wasn't to stick with one thing and do that the rest of your life. So I felt really free to kind of follow different ideas that I had. And, you know, I think about this a lot because I, I think partially I was a little needing to, I'm having grown up in New York city, I really wanted to live in a lot of different places in the United States. Like I, there was a part of me that just, I might have been driven a little bit by wanting to move to the West Coast. And I was like, well, what should I do at the in you know, it, with this move? What should I do next? What's what's inspiring to me? And, um, you know, I looked at like Giesbend quilt makers. But, you know, I can't say like textile artists were really a big influence. I was really a little bit like kind of searching for something and I wasn't finding it anywhere. I mean, there was a, there was a magazine called Surface Magazine that I, I must have just found at the, I don't even remember it, like back then when there were magazines everywhere. <laughs> I'm not sure how I found it, but it just, the possibility of being able to maybe go dimensional with my work and using fabric. And I, again, like I, I, at times I'd explored like domestic themes in my work. It's somehow in my brain, those little breadcrumbs led from you know, this printmaking idea and these, this language of symbols of domesticity to working with fabric kind mm-hmm. of led me there. But it was a time where I wasn't really taking a lot of influence from other artists. Although I, I love Kiki Smith. I love her exploring of materials. And I think something that she'd been doing then probably informed me just taking a chance. So yeah, that's what kind of led me there. Well, it's, it's interesting because when you're talking about this, I kind of think of, you know, like I've always been really influenced by the people that I've been around Yeah. and you kind of talk about that printmaking environment. And again, I know printmakers, so <laughs> a little, <laughs> a little bit, well, you know what I mean? Like every, every kind yeah. of like, they have these like little clicks of different types of yeah. uh, things, you know, if you're a sculpture artist or, yep, you know, yep. if you all share a metal studio yep. and again, I'm curious, especially there, like, you know, in terms of going, you know, for surface design, and again, this is a art, art and craft. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is that something then that like there's a lot of difference in terms of the types of students that you're around then versus like say Minneapolis? Totally, totally. I mean, well, all right, totally, and then not totally. I mean, in <laughs> in a way, like you know, print print people like can be very specific and fussy, but um, the environment in that print shop and the people in the print shop I was in afterwards really there was a bit of. Um, some activist printmakers that were interested in social justice and creating posters and being really responsive to what was going on in the world and derived a lot of inspiration from a lot of different sources. And when I went to Oregon, again, it was a tight knit 
group of people who were using totally different materials. And I mean, like, for example, there were some people that were trying to do sculptural work, but they made their money doing like patterns for Nike or something. And Mm -hmm. so the curiosity and the willingness to take chances and try new things in that shop was really exciting and different. And then again, a lot of surface design is also basically printmaking. So that, that process, although for me and the way I approached it was a lot freer. I got to do basically the surface design equivalent to monoprinting on Mm -hmm. fabric, you know, and then made some sculpture and made some just absolutely awful work, (laughs) (laughs) but allowed myself those chances. You know, I think, you know, one thing I realized when I was there is that I, I'm a, an artist that needs to sit down and then give myself permission to try something new. Like it's not, natural for me to go, I'm going to try this new thing. I have to go, you know what? You're allowed to try this new thing. You're allowed to take this chance. And that was an environment where I could take a lot of chances and try a lot of different things. And it was very supportive. Well, and artists talk about like almost developing a language. I would imagine just all the materials exploration, all the failing, you know, is something that gives you all these resources to think about. And again, it doesn't even have to be direct. It could be something that you kind of store away. I'm sure that, you know, comes out now as you're making. So exactly. Yep. Well, and so again, just because I want to make sure we're diving into that more current work, I, I want to kind of see if you can <laughs> skip forward a little bit and let us know oh, sure. what kind of comes after there, and we can kind of fill fill in some of that. Yeah, time. I mean, well, it's it's a convenient time to skip forward because, like, not long after I left that school, went on a residency, and I was really doing a deep dive on that. And when I returned from my residency, I I was became pregnant with my first daughter, mm-hmm. and everything changed. You know, you can imagine like I was, you know, we were were living kind of hand to mouth. I was working as a part-time educator and um, my studio practice contracted for a long time. You know, I mean, I kept things up, but really raising, you know, I had one daughter and then another daughter four years later. And um, I had to completely reevaluate what I was doing. And I, I think because maybe in reaction to growing up in this like totally crazy bohemian arty family, I weirdly became like kind of a structured like parent and really got a lot of joy out of raising my kids. And, you know, I got up at 5am and I would work a couple hours in the studio doing not surface design. I did some, but uh, my materials were, I had less access to materials and space and I had to just kind of make do with what I had, which kind of weaned me off of using specialized materials or trying to do like large pieces, Mm -hmm. large, complicated surface design pieces. I um, went back to drawing and I went back to collage and I went back to just using accessible materials all around me. And I have to say, it took me a while to have my current relationship to this work really develop. It it was it was a long time of just adjusting to what I had around me and, you know, balancing work and family life and studio life. Well, was there something that particularly like kind of shifted where you were able to kind of refocus a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think partially, you know, as your kids get older. Sure. And then again, it was like I'm an artist that kind of needs to sit down and go, you have permission to do this, you know, and I um, started reading a lot about botany and I started reading a lot about science and as like a very citizen science, you know, person, I'm not 
I'm not highly technical, but what I started to find very inspirational because I moved to upstate New York and I had everything I'd always wanted kind of around me at my fingertips. I live in a rural area. I live next to the mountains. We have a garden. We have space. And I finally just started to let all those influences kind of like come into this studio. And um, I started doing a series of, of watercolors about um, germination. And I did these like pretty technical watercolor studies of these germinated seeds and something just clicked and I started to really play with that idea and um it just I I kind of partially it was my kids were older partially I was getting really fascinated by that and allowing those influences to come in and it all kind of started around there you know around this idea of like germination and living in the country and permission you know, I was going to say, it's interesting to kind of look through all these watercolors because as, as I'm doing that, of course, I'm, you've got all of them up at, you know, BethHumphreyArt.com. So people should certainly check that out. I especially hopefully imagine cl- people clicking and listen, you know, checking out some of this stuff as they're kind of going through. But again, I kind of totally get that vibe and there's not really like necessarily like an outright description on that. So I'm kind of like, yeah. oh, cool. This is like resonating for me the way that it kind of you know, should, you know, and yeah. again, it kind oh, of, good. well, and obviously some of them, you know, like in the, the seed entitled kind of, uh, works, but again, they kind of have that kind of playful, you know, colorful kind of exploration that, you know, kind of seems to resonate with some of the other work that you're doing too. So was this something that could kind of serve as like, um, you know, something that you could work, you know, like, like fit in, I guess, with that schedule as a busy and kind of involved parent watercolor was a great solution from somebody who'd done printmaking and surface design, all this like stuff, you know, that was needed to create what I needed to create. Watercolor gave me, it it was just never a material I thought about using. It just wasn't, you feel free to look up my father's work, but it was very layered and stuff. So I was used to like these layered, complicated things. The lightness of watercolor unlocked something, you know, and that it, it felt satisfying and it felt, you know, it's like I wanted to respond to something and then I made this image and it, and it worked, you know, it just worked in, in this almost accidental way, which is something I'm totally interested in too. I mean, accidents in the process of, you know, you have a pool of water and you have your pigment and what it does and how it dries and how I don't know how that's going to turn out is extremely exciting to me. So I think, you know, it did open up that uh, accidental aspect that I find really important in my work now. And one thing that I really love seeing though, too, in the watercolors that relate, I think so well to the other ones is that, you know, that sense, that quality of light and, you know, saturation that's, you know, present in your other work. Yeah. And I would imagine then too, like being able to kind of work and combine materials also kind of allows you to work in, you know, stages. So I'm assuming then when you start making these other, you know, works that you're kind of maybe making more towards, you know, now, yeah. like you're able to kind of build out a small part of it and then just add to it. Yeah. I think the um, transition that happened had a lot to do with the watercolor opening up possibilities of accident. And then I started doing this other process where I was creating these surfaces and then assembling them and, you know, building on a concept of like a main character. It could be a seed, it could be a landscape and um, bringing those elements together, which 
in my watercolors, it was, I, I very much thought of the different aspects of them as different elements. They were kind of floating together in a collage type way. I didn't want them to be necessarily totally integrated. I wanted them to have like different influences on like a main character. So the later work, I just, I wanted more physicality. I wanted more objectness to happen. And I think that's when the transition happened to the, like mainly doing collage and drawing. Well, and are you kind of working on the collage and, you know, the mixed media is like two things that you're working on in tandem? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because it's the person I did my website with, we were like, how should we split this up? Like I see them all kind of as sort of one whole body, but I understand that they kind of need to be separated. And I think the mixed media pieces that are coming into, I'm making more sculptural pieces. Like I'm combining some wood with them. I've been working in clay. I've been trying to create pieces that are kind of more independent objects so I think of those as more of the mixed media pieces, mm-hmm. and then the collage pieces feel more direct. They're, they're built surfaces, paper, layers. But again, it's like now, you know, really like in quarantine, especially with lots of time to reflect on these things, I'm really thinking about, you know, really, what are these things? Mm-hmm. Like, what are they turning <laughs> into, you know? Sure. Well, and you kind of described the, you know, the process of kind of like production. I mean, are are you like painting out like big chunks of things that you're then able to kind of cut back into to collage? And what's the process like to decide what the shapes look like? Is it all intuitive? It's very intuitive. Like I don't ever go into, I mean, I, I do some sketching. Sometimes when I'm really super stuck, I just want to create a bunch of different form. I want to sketch out a bunch of different forms and see if anything sticks. But ultimately I'm really bad at planning this stuff, you know, and I really embrace every single piece. I want there to be an element of accident. So lately I've been doing these large spray painted, I'll I'll do like a bunch of paper bags at a time. And I'm, I'm looking for a lot of gestural line with the spray paint and stencils. And um, then I cut back into them. I cut the shapes out and I'm really looking for entry points with how the stencil line and the intuitive line happen on the surface so that I can kind of build off of, you know, pulling out some of those elements. It's very quick. Like I don't like to kind of labor over the the stenciling and the painting of these large pieces that I later cut down because I'm excited to see how maybe that main large piece will mix with other small collaged elements, like how those two pieces come together. There's a lot of assembling and reassembling. And then it takes... You know, I'll juggle a lot of those pieces for a long time until they kind of land together after I've built up the surfaces. They play off of each other, too. And that's the other thing. I'm always looking for, like, a dynamic relationship between maybe a smaller collage drawn element and a larger kind of more kind of color field piece. Mm -hmm. And is it something where the kind of like sprawled out in your studio what can, like it's yeah yeah on the walls on the floor <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it's total chaos because it's there's so many i mean these pieces for the most part are small like i i've been trying to push myself to making larger pieces but so the majority of the work is under like 18 pieces 18 inches either way and so there's piles of elements everywhere so i have smaller i could kind of separate it into smaller pieces to kind of the larger surface pieces that i will later assemble into other shapes 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's funny. I, I love looking at studios of other people that do collage and like kind of assembling work because it makes me feel better about the state of my studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would imagine that you have maybe like little components of things kind of all over the place. So you might be, yeah. you know, walking through the studio and then, you know, you see that piece and then you're looking at the piece on the wall and you're like, oh, it needs that kind of thing. And then yeah. it's just seeing what that looks like, I guess. I mean, I have this large kind of color coordinated bunch of drawers that I keep things separated roughly by color. So they get pulled out and kind of placed around, you know, I may just have them sitting next to a bigger piece that's up on the, on the studio wall. And it's, you know, it's funny cause it's, it, I think lately, especially, I mean, how chaotic it's been the last, you know, well, it's been chaotic for a while in our, you know, in the United States, but definitely in like the last five or six months and then building to this Corona time, I, really am having a different relationship to how I want color to happen. And it's, it's much more emotional and immediate. So, you know, before I was a little bit like, Oh, that looks okay. I'm going to like play with that. Now it feels like every decision is a little bit more important. Sure. (laughs) Sure. I think about some of the artists that you've talked about, like say Rothko or somebody that, you know, might be kind of making these big color field type paintings. And you've even kind of mentioned that a little bit, but I think about it too. Like you must have like, you know, like tables full of production of just, you know, layers, you know, like again, areas that you might be spray painting all of the stuff or areas that you're painting over it. And then you're cutting and assembling. Are you kind of also drawing back in then over the top of everything too? Yeah, I draw with crayon um, on top of the surfaces. I try to make very kind of geometric, like Mm -hmm. especially lines. It makes it feel a little bit more formal. Like I'll do these very kind of, you know, like strips or lines that kind of reel in all that kind of free wielding color yeah so there's sort of like a drawing area and there's a lot of piles and you know i've been very productive the last couple of years so there's kind of like an insane amount of piles i separate things mainly by size and then i have a lot of little i mean i have these little petal pieces i like to kind of stick in so things are you know there's a small medium and large piles everywhere and then there's kind of the drawing materials and then you know I'm I'm trying to wean myself off of spray painting cuz I am conscious of its environmental impact so I do that mainly outside and I seasonally like in the spring and summer and fall like I'll make a large amount of stock of kind of stenciled papers that I kind of keep tucked away but yeah it's definitely I have a long narrow studio and mm-hmm. um it's and then at the end of it, or I have my collection of my father's books. So it's it's definitely it's challenging, but I actually really love the restraints of having kind of a smaller space because it really makes me think about my relationship to the size of the work. So mm-hmm. it's it's okay. I couldn't go really big right yeah, now. Yeah. Well, I'm curious if we could talk about some of the specific pieces that you sure. had sent along, just because I think that's always fun to you know be able to dive a little bit you know, deeper into some of these. Um, but I guess one of them that kind of pops out entitled bloom or like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's kind of that repetition in there, Yep. but what kind of materials are we looking at again in this one? I know you've kind of mentioned some of them already, but I like, you know, being able to draw real focus to this one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at like say bloom one, which was like the beginning of that series. Mm -hmm. What you're looking at is one element, like the larger kind of purpley pink element. It's a spray painted brown paper bag with different saturated colors on it there's a little like blue squiggly shape that's a gouache collage piece that's drawn over it has these concentric circles 
And then there's like a tiny little like squirt of glitter paper. Mm-hmm. Literally, like I have an eight by 10 piece of this paper that I've been using tiny elements. I've been saving it for a couple of years now and I just use tiny little elements of that. And then on top of that, I use Caran d'Ache watercolor crayons to get the kind of pops of color along the edge and then the kind of the lines that kind of cut into the piece to kind of formalize it. Well, and I think I can kind of identify the area that kind of has that almost kind of spray paint kind of textural kind of thing. But then the other more saturated areas, that's the watercolor, the material you just described? Yep. Yep. It's like a very opaque watercolor crayon. They're layered in different ways. Again, it's interesting to see how they kind of you know, have that, those saturated areas versus the ones that kind of feel a little bit more matte or, yeah, you know, a little yeah. softer. And like you were yeah. saying, they kind of, some of them almost like, again, elicit like a landscape type atmospheric kind of space versus something that's more physical. Yep. It's really interesting combination of those. Again, surface is just, and texture is just so present. Yeah. It's definitely something that, um, you know, I, it's, it's been a, a lifelong seeking of this kind of texture. I realize, you know, it's, it sucks in the light and I definitely feel like I've gotten to a place where I feel really comfortable with kind of creating these really velvety surfaces that I just, I find really satisfying, you know, and then the drawing over just kind of, it, that's where you're getting more of the narrative elements. Like the, this bloom series is something I'm working on. I, I was asked to create a site-specific installation that's going to be... I was supposed to be in a show in Kingston, New York, and of course, nobody's really having shows anymore. Mm-hmm. They gave me this 12-foot wall to work with, and they want to have some sculptural pieces, and then they were like, do whatever you want to the rest of the wall. And so theme is loosely has something to do with florals. And um, I just have been diving into these kind of petal-like surfaces, like that velvety, like rose petal kind of surface in the creation of these pieces. Well, and another two that stick out to me, just because some of their materials seem a little bit slightly different, um, there's one entitled Pink Mood and one entitled Underside. Mm-hmm. And it looks like there's kind of like a transparent kind of film. Yeah, that's a that's another newer element I've been working with for the last few months. Because, you know, in the last three or four years, shadows become really important to the work I'm doing. And of course I have to make my life really complicated because now I have to install all these pieces like an inch or so off the wall, which gives installers fits. But (laughs) I wanted to take that concept of shadow and that um, kind of dimension, the adding to the dimension by, um, I, I actually had a ton of this film around the studio and I'd been painting the backs of some of my pieces with like day glow spray paints and it was creating a glow. And I thought, you know, how can I build on that a little bit? And I had this film around and I, so I just started adding it as a, just as an experiment at first. And then I really liked what it was doing to these pieces that made them feel 10 times more sculptural more engaged, you know, when you see them in person, you move around and it moves with you and creates a whole other kind of sculptural element. But yeah, that's a fairly new development. And I'm just sort of playing with how that works. Yeah, I love the way that the shadows interact. And, you know, like that kind of transparency relative to the, you know, the colors and in, in the, the works themselves, you know, there's kind of a lot of saturated colors. So you see it next to like a deep shadow. I would yeah. imagine again, that's something that's really kind of exciting to see in the studio. Um, or, you know, especially when, the, when they're in a, a space. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, 
I, you know, I was really looking for a way for people to kind of have a different, just the idea that they could have a different relationship to each piece as they kind of move among the pieces in space. And, um, yeah, the shadow has been just a really important element, but I, I needed, I think I needed another kind of, I needed to push it a little bit. And that's when these films came in and that that's, it's new. So I'm still kind of feeling out what that's doing, but it definitely adds to kind of, you know, this evaporation feeling to the pieces, Mm -hmm. kind of the hidden elements, you know, like natural cycles for sure. And it's interesting for me because I start thinking about these, you know, like you were talking about them looking almost more sculptural because of that. And then I think about the relationship to the more mixed media pieces, which might mm-hmm. kind of almost be displayed more like sculptures. Are they are they on pedestals like for, for a show where you would display both? They're on little shelves. Okay. Like when they, when I've sent them off for shows, I, I have these little tiny shelves and um, and they've you know, really only been shown a couple of times right now. They're in a I have a bunch of them in a show that nobody can see <laughs> and they installed them and I can't wait to see how they installed them. Cause I think that they did like really, really tiny shelves that almost look like they're not being supported, that they're just kind of floating. But mm-hmm. that was an interesting thing because they were installed in a space that they're at the Albany international airport that has a really great curatorial program. They had a lot of issues cause my work is kind of unprotected and fragile. So they had to I had to kind of give them work that they could put bonnets over or create shelving for. So I haven't seen it yet, but I think that they came up with some interesting solutions to how to display these pieces. But for the most part, they're shown on little shelves. Well, and one thing I wanted to talk about, obviously we've talked a little about shadows and vaguely talking about light and transparency or saturation. Like, could you talk just a little bit about like, I guess where your ideas of color come from or like how you start to kind of generate something? Cause you know, some of them seem like they might be, I don't know, more monochromatic or like analogous, like they're kind of a part of a range. Some of them have more contrasting colors. I'm just kind of curious, like, like if that process is something that you've, you know, kind of just developed over like the language of the work itself, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think my relationship to color, like I've always had a very strong sense of color. I felt very driven by using bright, engaging colors. And then when I did go to Oregon College of Arts and Crafts, I decided not to use color at all in a lot of the work because I felt like it was a crutch. So now when I'm, you know, when I'm really addressing these pieces, it, it tends to go in series. Like I, I often come to the studio with an idea of like a mood around green or a mood around pink. I mean, the, the pink moon piece really was that every single person in my area, you know, I live in Woodstock. It has a certain kind of crunchy granola feel. Everybody was talking about the pink moon. <laughs> and um, suddenly that just informed everything that I was doing. So I just had to dive into making pink pieces. So the pink moon was a piece in, within a series of a lot of other experiments along those lines. But um, I think, you know, I, I am exploring balancing. Sometimes I'll have more of a like a large color field main character like with pink moon there's a large pink area other times i feel like i really need to add like a stenciled element on top of that i try to pull in some neutrals to balance out these super bright colors but um things tend to just you know i I think in some respects i'm looking for a level of of an eroded look of color so it's something that might have been inspired by like an old billboard or you know, how something could have multiple layers, you see kind of the history of it behind it, like that kind of textured 
antique looking kind of layering is something that I'm really, really drawn to and I try to reproduce in a lot of the works that I'm doing lately. Mm-hmm. And and also just that there's sort of a a nod to it's it's a piece of a larger whole, like you're taking out a little tiny corner of something that's much larger. And you can kind of tell that it was larger by the layering of color. That's what kind of drives the use of color in the studio. And is there, how do you know when they're done? I guess it's always a, <laughs> always a question that I'm sure every artist loves to kind of, you know, yeah. answer, but, but it's, it's interesting because I almost think about it like, you know, like, cause you were just talking about it almost like having an aspect of, I don't want to say like having a fragment or like, you know, just a number of these other things kind of coming together, but just something that might all kind of balance out just the right way, I guess. It's funny. Cause again, I mean, I, you know, formative influences, but my father often reworked pieces. Like, you know, I, I, I find that like something that started out one way later changed into something else. So I, I, I grew up around a person that never, I mean, no, he had a lot of pieces that were done, done, but then there was a lot of, I watched a lot of work kind of transform into other things later. It's taken me a long time to kind of get to a place where I feel like this is done and I'm never going to touch it again. You know, it's a balance, I think. It's like, it come, especially with when it, now that I'm doing these pieces with these like added film elements, when it's up and the shadow is working and you can see both like smaller elements and then the larger elements I, you know, I gotta say, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it hits a certain rhythm that feels really satisfying. And because the pieces are small, I don't know if that, it kind of, there's like an intimacy of the size that just feels accessible. I don't know. I, you know, I, it's funny because I feel like I've been making a lot of work lately and it feels like it becomes done and satisfying a lot more quickly than it used to. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, working in the series that I've been working in the last, you know, say six to eight months, they, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they're done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it's, what's always interesting because like, you know, you've talked about like not wanting to be, you know, caught up in a necessarily like a pattern of having to make something a certain way and kind of challenging yourself to, to step out of that. For me, again, it's weird because that's always so different for each artist, Yeah, you know, like, and I think somebody looking into your studio outside of it might not see that. But for me, I always feel the least confident in that. And then I almost like have to wait to see it like a couple of days later before I start kind of getting, giving myself permission to be like, Oh no, this is, this actually got something going for it. Yeah. 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 Time like in relation to looking at it for sure. I'm a little impatient though, too, you know, I kind of, and I think it had a lot to do with like having, making work and raising kids. It's like, I got used to really powering down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about it a lot. Like I, I'm driven to, you know, if I'm at work or if I'm doing other things, I'm driven to distraction till I can get back and kind of tweak it. But right now I feel like the, I, I just happen to be, I think in, if you'd asked me the same question, like, when do you know it's done? maybe a year and a half ago, I would have no idea. And I would feel like, I don't know if it's done. Nothing's done now for whatever reason, it feels a lot easier to have this fully formed concept that feels satisfying. I don't know. I don't know what I'm, I'm happy. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to jinx it. (laughs) (laughs) So again, we've been talking about how weird it is to kind of be working under these conditions. It sounds like you're you know, studio practice is at least going to get, you know, plenty of, you know, work done and and explored, (laughs) you know, so what, 
I guess things are coming up for you in terms of exhibitions or you know plans for the future. I guess it's it's been a really kind of great time in terms of being productive and having opportunities, even though all this craziness is happening all over the world. And I'm feeling this like incredible deep sympathy for what you know people are going through. But I'm an artist. My father was an artist. I know what this feels like in a lot of like not knowing what comes next. You know, when you're an artist, you kind of have to trust in that. But I feel really fortunate because right before this all happened, I was invited to participate in a show at the Albany International Airport, which has a great program that I love. They took 19 of my pieces and have installed them, and I haven't seen how they've been installed yet. So um, that's a kind of bizarre place to be but they're they're photographing it and doing a catalog and all that's going to be available really soon and i will get to see it along with everybody else <laughs> interesting yeah uh, um, well, that's cool and i'm also going to be doing a site-specific installation at a gallery called lockwood gallery in kingston um, where i really get to play and explore and do whatever i want which i feel is such an amazing gift to have in this time and they're going to be photographing it and then you know it's going to be an online exhibition but you know to still be able to be doing work and participating in the art world and you know it it feels like such a gift right now and and definitely makes me feel like you know we're gonna we're gonna be okay us artists are gonna be okay yeah yeah (laughs) well again i i almost just want to I see in my head like a time lapse of you working in the gallery and I'm just like, wow, that's got to be fascinating to kind of see the process, you know, and I'm sure that goes for anybody, but you know, that's a good idea. I should do a time lapse. It'd be fun because especially because you're setting the lights and playing with the shadow and stuff, that'd be really fun. Well, I just think like, you know, there's this idea sometimes I think for non-artists that like artists just kind of roll out of bed and everything just comes together. So I don't know why I just imagine like, you know, like a intensive start, lots of breaks and then you know, just tons of really focused work and then edit, you know, like, again, it's, yeah. it'd just be interesting to see. Um, yeah. So, well, again, that sounds very, very cool. Where's the best place for people to check out your work and uh, stay up to date? I would say that my website, BethHumphreyArt.com, you know, it's, I try to keep it updated. In fact, you know, talking to you has reminded me that there's some things I need to update there, but I'm pretty active on Instagram. I'm Studio Beth on Instagram. And that's where all of my newest work, I just kind of post it. I try to be really good about kind of engaging in that world a lot. And um, yeah, I, I usually post pretty much every week what I'm doing and we you know what's going on with me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, I hope everybody checks, checks out your Instagram and make sure to stay up to date. I always love seeing new stuff. So you know, obviously that's always fun, but I, I really appreciate you taking the time this morning. It was a lot of fun chatting with you about your work and, you know, it's really interesting and again, fun to look at, especially now when I feel uh, locked up, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. It's like human contact, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Beth for joining me. Please go and check out her website, BethHumphreyArt.com. Follow her on Instagram and see more at Studio Beth. There's all sorts of wonderful posts there. She currently has a series of works at the Albany International Airport. So there's going to be documentation and a catalog that will be available And I believe you should find it on Instagram, so be sure and follow her there. She also has a site-specific installation coming up in June at the Lockwood Gallery. 
Of course, I have to throw out another reminder that if you are currently enrolled or recently graduated from an undergraduate or graduate studio art program, there's only two weeks left to apply to the 2020 Studio Break Student Competition. Our juror this year is Tim Kowalczyk, a Trumploy ceramic artist. You can see his work at timceramics.com and, of course, follow him and see his work on Instagram at timceramics. He'll be selecting five artists from each of the categories. Again, that's undergraduate and graduate for a total of 10. So that's open to all 2D and 3D artists, anybody that's currently enrolled in a visual arts program or recently graduated. So if you unfortunately aren't showing your work because you don't have an exhibition space, we're upping it to five this year to help uh, share your work. So if you're interested in applying, it's quite simple. You go to studiobreak.com, look under the student competition page. Again, you'll see that it just takes a small donation and an email with your website and or your Instagram account for review. So be sure and check that out. And of course, if you know anybody that should apply or want to help spread the word, we would super appreciate it. If you're finding the podcast for the very first time, I want to remind you that Studio Break has a bunch of episodes available on studiobreak.com. Each of those have images of artwork as well as links to the artist's website so you can find out more information and follow them on Instagram and all that good stuff. So be sure and peruse. Again, you can listen right there on the default player, but you can also click those links to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, Google Play. So be sure and check Studio Breakout in those formats if that's your preference. And of course, if you know any artists that are looking for good podcasts to check out, please share this one. You can easily do that by following us on social media. So like our Facebook page, you can find us on Twitter at Studio Break, and of course on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. It's always great to hear from listeners, so please reach out, say hello. A quick thanks to Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. And, of course, if you'd like to see some of my paintings of the uh, suburban empty landscapes, you can check that out at davidlinaway.com. Seems very fitting for the time that we're in that I'm painting peopleless uh, suburban landscapes, but go check them out at davidlinaway.com. And, of course, follow me on Twitter at davidlinaway and on Instagram at davidlinaway. And you can always, of course, say hello. It's always great to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Beth as much as I did. And once again, stay safe, stay productive in the studio. We'll talk to you real soon.